Welcome to the podcast of San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. My name is Dee Kelly, and it is a privilege to be with you this day and to dig into God's Word. We are a church that's located in the Point Loma area of San Diego, uh, and we would welcome you any Sunday to our services. We've got Sunday schools at 9 o'clock, a 10.30 service every Sunday morning with midweek programming for all ages. If you're interested, feel free to go to our website and check out the various details. That's sdfcnaz.com. Or feel free to call the church and check out the options that are available to you. It's area code 619-849-3100. This particular Sunday, we are digging into Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 which I will read in a few moments. The title of this message is Current Events. And I just want to say that the images are etched in my mind. The images that um, have been presented to me and get locked into my memory. Images of what looks like battlefields. Well, in fact, they are battlefields. Dust, dirt, rubble where structures once stood, walkways destroyed, blood in places where I would never expect. And my imagination kicks in, and in addition to the images, I, I imagine the smells, no longer the smell of baked goods of local vendors or street markets or anything like that. It's more of a stench. Makes you cough. More dust than normal. Smells of uh, destruction and uh, even smells of death. And the perpetrators, the perpetrators have invaded spaces that everyone understood were out of bounds. Spaces that many of us view as sacred. Well, these comments in terms of our local situation could easily be attributed to what's taking place on the other place on the other side of the globe in the country of Ukraine and for that it would be our current events but those same images at least the description that i gave would be matched by the current events that we find in Luke chapter 13 Right in the midst of this storyline of Jesus teaching the people, a passage that it goes back at least to chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 13 steps into some particular circumstances that are the buzz of the community, the conversation of those who are nearby, the, the talk over a shared meal. So let me read Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Now there were some present at that time 
who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you again, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the current events referenced in this passage, we don't have a great handle on details that aren't supplied here because there aren't many references to them in any other historical documents. The one is an image of or a story of something that took place when Pilate came to the temple at the time of the sacrifice. I don't know that Pilate himself came or sent his soldiers, but they found Galileans offering their sacrifices at the place where that takes place, which is the temple, a sacred space. And they entered into this sacred space and slay the Galileans, and their blood intermingles with the blood of the sacrifices they had brought for their temple worship. It's a horrific scene. It is an invasion of the sacred and filling it with the profane. It is battle taking place in a location where battle should never take place. I'm not sure, we're not sure, why Pilate would choose this location unless maybe he thought that the Galileans were going to uh, plot an uprising, a revolution, that somehow they had uh, been labeled as individuals who were going to create an insurrection for the Roman Empire. Whatever the case, this was where they were chosen by the power, the power of Pilate to be destroyed and killed. And it seems like the question that was raised was, were those who died, were their sins greater than us? Did they die because of their sinfulness? So that current event um, reminds us that the things we are experiencing these days are not the first time such things have taken place. The other current event that Jesus references is a um, collapse of a structure. 
the, the tower at Siloam. We don't know exactly why it fell. Maybe something in the construction was not done correctly. We're not even completely sure what the structure was. It was a tower. Some have asserted that it was um, part of the water system and it was like a water tower of sorts. Others have conjectured that it's part of the old wall of the temple and something that was being constructed at the end of the old wall um, of the old temple prior to what was built by Herod. Whatever the case was, it collapsed and 18 people lost their lives in the collapse of this structure. A tragic current event to the people who were hearing Jesus speak. And once again, the question was asked, were those who died more guilty than all of the others living in Jerusalem? And his answer is no. So there is an interesting correlation or um, similarity between then and now where often we attribute good things happening to good people, bad things happening to bad people. That given enough time, we will see that those who are good will abound in blessing and those who are evil or pursue evil ways will be destroyed, will get their just due. It doesn't always happen. We end up with books that are written with the title that says, Why do bad things happen to good people? There certainly is a corollary to that. Why do good things happen to bad people? It is one of the strange features of the world in which we live, that the good do not always receive the greatest in terms of earthly blessings, the bad do not always receive punishment for what they've done. And regardless of what justice system you live in, it seems like there are always stories that seem that they don't result in justice. Justice for the poor and needy who are good, or justice for those who seem to have a lot and yet have gotten it through ill-gotten ways. So Jesus addresses the first question. Are you thinking, are you saying that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because of how they suffered? So it's interesting that that argument even exists because the person who's meeting out the destruction is Pilate. So an even worse sinner, at least by the uh, judgment and criteria of what we have of Old Testament law, a much worse sinner gets to dole out punishment on the Galileans at whatever level their punishment or their wrongdoing. Could it be worse than Pilate's? But then Jesus takes it one step further and say, well, you may be wondering, how about those that don't seem to have a villain attached to them? The collapse of the building at Siloam. Maybe not in particular a natural disaster, 
like a hurricane, a volcano, a tornado, but a disaster that doesn't seem to have a culprit behind it. In that case, were those who perished more sinful or more guilty? Jesus once again says no. But he then transfers their thinking from short-term to long-term. He says, but unless you repent, you will perish as well. He repeats it again with the second story. Unless you repent, you will perish as well. So there's a recognition that it's appointed unto everyone to die. We can't cheat death. But Jesus is pointing to a much bigger picture and saying, don't worry about the one who can take away the body, who can destroy the vessel in which we live. Be concerned about the one who holds your soul, the one who casts judgment, the final judge, and recognize that that's the one you should fear. That's what you should be concerned about. That's where you should live in terms of making judgments for how you conduct yourself in this world. And don't think you can name the time of when life will end. It can come on one suddenly. In chapter 12, in the beginning of verse 13, speak about the things we do not control. We spend our life trying to control our longevity, our health, the reactions of others, our place in the world. We control our education. We control our relationships. We try and control our circumstances. And Jesus speaks very clearly and says, you actually don't control all of those things. But what you do control is your posture toward them. And if your posture is continually looking at the temporal, the here and now, what's right in front of you, then you miss the posture of eternity. Repentance certainly involves a turning away from sinfulness, but is it a change in posture of how we view who we are, whose we are, and the eternal. It is a posture to see the temporariness of the circumstances we face and the life we live. It is to recognize that all of us deserve death. All of us deserve punishment for our sins. But Jesus then concludes this section with a powerful story of a fig tree. The fig tree, typically in scripture, rep represents Israel, the Israelites, these people that are gods. And often we find in the Old Testament the reference to how they have not held on to their first love. Well, here the story is of a fig tree that was planted in a vineyard not unusual for that to take place. Fig trees and vineyards were often planted together. Sometimes the fig tree and its low branches were used actually as trellises 
so that the grapevines could grow up the fig tree. And as a result, we have historical notes of grapes that are produced and some of the finest grapes produced as a result of being planted along with fig trees. But the fig tree itself produces fruit, or it should. And here a man had a fig tree, and he went, went to look for the fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the keeper of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found it. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? For three years, the number three often refers to completeness. I've given it its complete time to produce fruit, but it hasn't. So at the end of all of this, this story has a wonderful twist because it speaks not only of a God of judgment, but it also speaks of a God of mercy. For here the gardener, our creator, the one who watches over us, responds and says, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll take the manure, the fertilizer, and put it around it. I'll give it every opportunity to bear fruit. And then, if not, fine. But if fruit comes forth, how wonderful that will be. This is our creator, our God speaking to the fig tree, both here representing Israel, offering an opportunity to repent and turn, to change a posture toward life to have in perspective eternity and a storyline that's much bigger than ourselves. It is the graciousness, the love of God that never forces us to choose God, but instead does everything to make it possible for us to bear fruit. And what is fruit? Fruit is simply the outgrowth of love. If love exists in us, then what we were created to produce will come forth. It is born into us when we allow what God has already planted deep inside to come forth. Repentance is a turning away from my own narcissistic, selfish ways. It is turning toward a life of love. It is the gardener saying, I'm going to give this one, this child of mine, every opportunity to become exactly what he or she was created to be, a creature who produces fruit out of the love that is deep within. And if this individual is a fig tree, produces figs. If this individual is a is a orange tree produces oranges. This person in their unique way, in their God-blessed, God-created avenue of interests and passions, if the posture becomes a posture of love that produces fruit of compassion and generosity, of kindness, 
then they will produce fruit out of the very nature of what they were made to do, just like the fig tree was made to produce figs. There comes an end to God's patience, but God's grace, it extends beyond anything we could ever imagine because God is good. In the midst of the current events that we face, whatever those current events are, events that leave etched in our memories, horrific moments, we need to be reminded that we are in the Lenten season, a season that is both sorrow and hope. It is a season where we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we think of Christ's death that this season leads us to, but we also think of the images and stench of death that is all around us. We see the ways in which people have been destroyed, hurt, harmed. It should bring sorrow to our hearts. It should bring grief. But the Lenten season is not an invitation into cynicism, an invitation into selfishness. It is an invitation into reflection and growth, where we hold both sorrow and hope. Sorrow for the pain we see inflicted on people every day, and hope that if we will surrender to our Creator, and repent ourselves, not only will we be saved, but we produce the fruit of goodness that changes the world and brings hope to others. The fruit we bring forth will not be identical to everyone else, but it is an invitation to turn from what was our own selfish pursuits and to pursue the Creator who knows the fruit we can bear if we will just give ourselves over to God's grace and God's love and live a life of love. Lord God, we thank you that in the midst of our current events, we don't find you making action and judgments based on external things like we do. We look on the outside and make assumptions that are so often erroneous, but you look on the heart. And you look at a bigger picture and invite us to live into a bigger storyline, one that's bigger than ourselves and bigger than the current circumstances we face. And part of that storyline is you pursuing us, tending the garden of our heart, providing every opportunity for us to hear your voice, to feel your touch, to breathe in your spirit, to turn from our own selfish ways and become what you created us to be, bearing fruit unique to our journey, but common to your spirit your spirit at work within us. So Lord, as you invite us to repentance this morning, 
Will you give us the courage to say enough of this, Lord, enough of this cynicism, enough of this revenge, enough of my jealousy and lust, enough of all of those things that do not bear the image of you, our creator. Change our posture. Lead us into repentance. May we find ourselves turning away from a life that is bent on self to a life that is bent toward love. May it change the way we see the world, see others, see you, and how we see ourselves. Change our lives, Lord. Fill us with your spirit and make us yours. Amen. I pray you have a blessed week. I pray that it is filled with God's peace. But in the midst of circumstances that may be difficult and rob that peace, we hold both sorrow and hope at the same time, recognizing that God is always reaching out in love, that we might be touched by God's Spirit and then become vessels of that love. Have a blessed week. Be with you again soon.